I'm thankful for the opportunity to be with you this morning, the day that we've been given, that we can come together and study the Word of God. And I, I hope that our studies this morning will be beneficial to you. We're pretty much going to be part in uh, Matthew chapter 4. We will observe a couple of details that, some, that the synoptic writers give us, but by and large, we're going to stay here in Matthew chapter 4. It really is a tremendous blessing that we have that we just read in Hebrews chapter 4, that we have a great high priest that's not so far removed from us that he doesn't understand what it's like to be human, that he doesn't understand the trials we face, the, the ways in which we're tempted, the things that the devil uses to lure us, to draw us away from the Lord. Jesus had the devil tempt him in many ways. This morning, we're going to look at what you might have headed in your Bible as the temptation of Jesus. That's a bit of a misnomer. The devil didn't leave Jesus alone completely after this occurrence. Jesus was tempted by the devil throughout his life. But the Spirit records these for us for our, for our learning and for our benefit. And you may have read the accounts in Matthew and Mark and Luke. John doesn't discuss the temptations, but you may have read those three accounts multiple times. But I'm afraid that sometimes we do with the Gospels something that we shouldn't do. We think that the Gospels are familiar to us. We think that we've seen these stories so many times that we stop really reading and paying attention to what is being said. So let's try this morning to look at this text as if we had not read this before and see how Matthew's audience would have understood what was going on and what it would have meant to them. And as we go throughout this lesson, I would encourage you to examine your response to the temptations that come your way. Our great high priest was tempted in every kind of way that we are. Maybe not each specific sin. I don't think the devil tempted Jesus with internet pornography. But the devil would have tempted Jesus with lust. Jesus would have been tempted and was tempted in every way that we could be. Jesus fully understood and understands what it means what it means to be human, and have the devil try and come after you, and have the devil come after you. As a bit of background, this event is parallel to Israel's time in the wilderness. You'll notice that Jesus' quotes each of the three times come from the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy, it, during the time that Deuteronomy was spoken, Israel was still wandering in the wilderness. They, had, they were towards the end of their 40 years of wandering. And the first generation, as a whole, could not go into the promised land because of unfaithfulness. The second generation is ready to go in, and Moses is recounting God's law and giving them warnings and admonitions before they go in and take the land. Israel failed miserably in the wilderness. As God's Israel today, the church, fails often. They failed in the wilderness. Jesus is going to be t tempted in the wilderness, and he's going to defeat Satan. He, he will repel Satan's attacks. And the interesting thing is that you'll see he'll do this as a man. He doesn't snap his fingers and work some miracle to make the problems go away. He endures temptation as a man, and he gives us a pattern that we can follow.
Verse 1, actually, let's go ahead and read the first 11 verses of Matthew chapter 4. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. And he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Then the devil took him into the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, On the other hand, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Go, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and began to minister to him. Verse 1 says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Matthew gives us some time frame to understand when these things took place. Immediately prior to this, Jesus came to John and was baptized by John in the Jordan to fulfill all righteousness. And the Spirit descended as a dove out of heaven and remained upon him. And the voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And Mark is interesting in his detail that he tells us exactly when Jesus was led up into the wilderness. It was immediately after that voice said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased, that the spirit drove him into the wilderness. It was immediate. You picture the spiritual high, this high point. None of us, when we were baptized, had the father's voice from heaven approving us. The Son of God is being set up and confirmed by the Father as the Son of God. The Spirit has descended as a dove out of heaven and remained on him. Don't have to turn there, but in Mark chapter 1, verse 12, it says, Immediately the Spirit impelled or drove him to go out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. You have this scene. The Spirit has descended as a dove. The Father pronounces, you're my beloved Son. In you I am well pleased. And immediately the Spirit drives him into the wilderness. Matthew and Luke just say the Spirit led Jesus. And so you might come away with the impression that, well, maybe the Spirit whispered to Jesus and thought that it might be a good idea to go out into the wilderness. Mark is specific in the way that the Spirit led Jesus. He drove him. There there was no option about it. Jesus is driven out into the wilderness. God himself has driven Jesus to go undergo the greatest temptations that any man would ever undergo. Jesus is about to be tempted by the devil, and God sent him there to do it. The wilderness is a place of great adversity, Temptation, trial, Uh, you'll see in the Gospels that there's demonic activity in the wilderness. It's not a happy place, not a happy picture. Jesus is driven out there. 
Verse 2, and after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry. Have you ever asked yourself, why was Jesus fasting during this period? If you're out in the wilderness, it seems like it would make sense to have food and have some strength. As a child reading the story, I thought that Jesus fasted in order to weaken himself. And so to show that even when he was weak, he could still defeat the devil. But when you read Scripture, that's not why anyone fasted in Scripture. Throughout time, Old Testament, the the first century, today, God's people fast to mourn, to humble themselves in devotion to God, and to seek God's strength and draw closer to Him. That's why Jesus was fasting. No one's going to be tempted the way Jesus has, and He's going to go through it as a man. He does what a lot of times we don't do. He seeks the Father in his strength. He focuses. He sets aside his own concerns, what he would like to do. He fasts and he focuses on the Lord. He didn't snap his finger and make the problems go away. He sought his Father. As as a side point, I think we would do well to follow Jesus' example in fasting. The duration and intensity and what exactly it's done can be dependent based on the need and the purpose. But Jesus assumes that his disciples will fast. In Matthew chapter 6, he regulates giving, praying, and fasting. It's when you give, when you pray, and when you fast. Don't be like the hypocrites. Instead, do this. Your Father who sees in secret will reward you. When you give, when you pray, and when you fast. If he expects that we're going to give regularly, in that case to the poor, if he expects that we're going to pray on a regular basis, why would he not expect that we fast on a regular basis and draw close to him? There's no command that Christians fast. There's no requirement. But in the scriptures, you see that it's a tool to draw closer to God. And if Jesus assumed that the disciples would fast, if the early church fasted, and we choose not to, it's worthwhile to ask ourselves, why don't we? There could be any any number of reasons. If you're a nursing mother or pregnant, you don't need to be fasting for three days. That's reality. But as a whole, why do we no longer have an attitude that says we want to draw closer to the Lord in that way? Is it possible that we're like the Laodiceans and we feel that we're rich and we don't need anything, that we don't feel a dependence on God? possible. It's something to consider. Now, I will note that Jesus was tempted during the 40 days, not after. Uh, When you read Mark and Luke's account, that becomes a little bit more uh, readily apparent. But Jesus was being tempted during these 40 days. Why do you think that, that the scriptures tell us that Jesus became hungry? seems kind of obvious that if man doesn't eat for 40 days, he's not exactly going to feel full, right? Why, why do both Matthew and Luke feel the need to point out that Jesus was hungry? It's helpful to understand a little bit about how fasting works on the body and understand what the, the state that Jesus was in during this time. There are several kinds of fasts in Scripture, but all of them involve abstaining from food. Uh, There are absolute fasts where you abstain from water and food. There are some Daniel fasts where uh, 
where you abstain from certain kinds of food for a period of time. There are also water fasts, and that's what Jesus went through here. In the first two to three days of a water fast, you feel the traditional hunger pains, the, the emotional, the physical desire for food that, that we all feel. But after three days, your body actually switches fuel sources, and it's burning fat. It goes into what's called ketosis. starts burning fat, and you really don't feel hungry anymore. In, in, in many ways, you feel really good. And the average male with average body fat can go about... 40 to 50 days without eating. But you get to a point where your body tells you that you're done. Your body lets you know that you're no longer fasting, that you've used up all your reserves, and at that point, if you don't get some fuel, you enter starvation. What Jesus enters here is what's commonly called true hunger. His body had reached the point to where you could feel it, he could feel it in his throat. It was his whole body was screaming for food. If it didn't get fuel soon, he literally would die. When Jesus fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he became hungry. He reached the point of starvation. This was not an easy um, episode for him to go through. And he leaves us a tremendous example for dealing with temptation and with trial. Let's read the first temptation beginning in verse 3. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. And he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. The devil says, If you are the Son of God. Now, I don't want you to get the impression that The devil isn't really sure that Jesus is the Son of God and wants confirmation. The demons, anytime they see Jesus, cannot help but cry out that he's the Holy One of God or the Son of God. The demons understand who Jesus is. Satan certainly understands who Jesus is. This word, if, it carries the meaning as for as much or since. This is a challenge. Since you're the Son of God... Command that these stones become bread. The, de- the devil tempts Jesus, who's not eaten, I don't know for how long at this particular temptation, but he's not eaten, to turn stones into bread, and Jesus refuses. What in the world would be the problem with that? Was Jesus not capable of turning stones to bread? I think we, hopefully we can all understand that the answer to that is no. Was it wrong to work a miracle to meet a physical need? Jesus fed thousands on multiple occasions, miraculously. Was it that God wanted Jesus to die in the wilderness? Well, no, he hadn't finished his mission. So what would be the problem with Jesus turning stones into bread? See, if we were presented with that kind of scenario, I I could imagine the rationalization that that would go on. You know, I can't really glorify God and and accomplish his mission if I'm dead, can I? You know, God really wants me to take care of my needs first so I can then glorify him. Surely God will understand. I've got to take care of my own needs so that I can glorify God. How many times do you hear us say stuff like that? Probably a lot more than we should. I 
The problem is that the devil tries to convince Jesus that God's depriving him of good things and that Jesus needs to meet those needs independently of his father. The Deuteronomy passage that Jesus quotes from reveals to us that God allowed Israel to become hungry so that he could teach them to seek God first and allow the physical needs to follow. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, in verses 1 through 3, Moses says this, All the commandments that I am commanding you today you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which the Lord swore to give to your forefathers. You shall remember all the way in which your father, in which the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness these 40 years, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. He humbled you and let you be hungry and fed you with man which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you understand that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. Our lives, and I mean that in the complete sense, not just our physical bodies, our lives come from God. He is the one who has given us life. And what God wanted to teach the Israelites and what Jesus responds to the devil with, and what we need to understand is that we seek the Lord first. He'll take care of the physical needs. No matter how hard it seems to trust the Lord, even if we have to learn to trust God even when it seems impossible to trust God. The same God that drove Jesus out into the wilderness by the Spirit would preserve him to come out and accomplish his ministry. If Jesus acted independently of that, he would be violating that relationship with his father. That's the problem with turning stones to bread. Let's keep reading in verse 5. Then the devil took him into the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, on the other hand, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. The devil sees that Jesus is responding with the tools of mere men. What we have available to us is the tool set that God has given us. The one weapon we have when we fight Satan is the sword of the Spirit. And at the time Jesus is saying that, the Scripture is the Old Testament Scripture. So, Satan turns it around and he starts quoting scripture. And he quotes from the 91st Psalm. And that Psalm is a tremendous blessing and a reassurance to those who trust in the Lord. That the Lord is going to provide and protect those who seek him, those who put their trust in him. The problem is that you never see throughout scripture God sanctioning presumption from his people. You can't behave presumptuously and at the same time be trusting in the Lord. If you presume to see if God's really going to come through by testing him, you're not in that category that Psalm 91 is talking about. If you see that God promises to provide for you, and just to prove that that's the case, you go quit your job for no reason. All you want to do is just see if God's going to provide for you. You're testing the Lord. That's, that's not his purpose in giving promises. His promises 
are for those who trust him and follow him. God's not going to be strong-armed by man's faithlessness. If Jesus, casted, if Jesus cast himself down from the temple pinnacle in order to test the Lord, he wouldn't be the one that's trusting in the Lord in Psalm 91 to provide, for God to provide. Let's pick up in verse 8. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, go, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. You ever been offered the whole world? I don't know that you'd even really want to have it with all the problems that that we have. But Satan offers Jesus the whole world. Remember that Satan's a liar, so don't assume that he actually could or would give Jesus that power. But that's not even really the point. Christ was going to receive all authority. And he remained faithful to God. And we read in Matthew 28, all authority has been given me on Um, in heaven and on earth. Satan offered all the authority on the earth. What Jesus was destined to receive was all authority on earth and in heaven. But Jesus has to deal with the not-so-fun fact of being nailed to a tree by people who don't like him. He's going to have to go through three to three and a half years of ministry where people reject him, people curse him, some follow but then at the end, all will flee from him. He's going to go through a mock trial. He's going to be scourged. He's going to be nailed, literally nailed, to a cross, lifted up, and die. That doesn't really sound like fun to me. And it sure didn't to Jesus either. The night which he was betrayed, he was praying. He didn't want to have to go through it. And what uh, what Satan was offering to Jesus was a shortcut. It was a way out, a substitute. If you'll follow me, you don't have to deal with the pain. How often do we not seek the Lord and follow his will because it hurts too much, because it's uncomfortable? Jesus experienced a degree of discomfort and pain that's unimaginable. But he did it because it was his Father's will. He did it because he loved us. Satan was offering to Jesus, why not have what you're meant to have now? God loves you. You shouldn't have to go through all that. You can have it now. Just come join my side. The devil promises us things that appeal to us. I don't know that being given the whole world would necessarily appeal to me in that sense, but there are certainly things that appeal to me that Satan uses against me effectively. Even if 
the devil provides short-term enjoyment. He can't provide the long-term fulfillment and joy that being united with your Heavenly Father gives. He offers shortcuts. He offers second-rate substitutes. And if we take those things and say the blessings that the Lord gives us, our enjoyment will be very short-lived. It will be confined to this life. If you live to be 120, that's still very short compared to how long you're going to exist. But more importantly than all that, God's our creator, not Satan. And as such, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. He alone is worthy of praise. Even if the deal that Satan would offer would really be appealing compared to God's. It wouldn't matter. You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. In verse 11, Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and began to minister to him. The devil departed from tempting Jesus, though it was just until an opportune time, Luke tells us. Jesus would be tempted again, but for now, it was over. That statement is reminiscent to me of James chapter 4 and verse 7, where it says, Submit therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Jesus successfully resisted the devil. And for a time, the devil fled. But don't think he didn't come back to Jesus, and don't think he won't come back to you. If he has the gall to go after the God-man, God in the flesh, he's going to come back after you and me. Absolutely will. God allowed Israel to go without in order to test them. And they failed. Their character was revealed. When Jesus was confronted with similar situations, he remained faithful to God. There are great parallels in this wilderness setting. But the response of Jesus is in tremendous contrast to what Israel did. What are you going to do when it feels like God's abandoned you to the free reign of Satan? When it feels like it's you dealing with whatever battle is going on spiritually? Are you going to hold fast? Going to remain true to the Lord? Jesus showed us how. If you don't understand what God's will is, you're not going to fight Satan. And really, our ultimate responsibility is to hold fast. Our job, I don't ever read where God told us to inflict damage on Satan. Our job is simply to hold fast in this battle and not lose ground. Resist him. Flee him. If he comes after the Son of God, if he blasphemes him, yeah, it's interesting. In Scripture, we see Satan speaking three times, if I remember right. Once in the Garden of Eden, where he blasphemes God to man. Once in Job, where he blasphemes man to God. And in, and in the Gospels, where he blasphemes God in the flesh. 
Satan is a blasphemer. And he will come after you with everything he has. He comes after me with everything he has. Sometimes those temptations come after what we perceive as a spiritual high point. That was in the case of Jesus. He was tempted immediately after this tremendous experience of being baptized by John in the Jordan and being confirmed as the Son of God. Our highs aren't quite that high and never will be, but we do have our highs and lows. We can't become complacent when things feel like they're going well, that we're walking close with the Lord. The devil's looking for an opportune time to come back, and he will. The truth is, God does not abandon you in temptation, and he doesn't allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able to bear. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. God gives a way of escape. If you're tempted to sin, there is a way out. It may not be pleasant or fun, but there is a way out. And it's much better to take that way than to take the easy way that Satan offers. God's not going to abandon you in temptation. Cling to him. Draw close to him. Seek him.